Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. fast. If you don't stop to podcast about it once in a while, you might just miss it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet about movies. I'm Cameron James and sitting directly opposite me, staring at my face, (laughs) is Alexi Toliopoulos. Cameron, it is my pleasure to be here discussing Screenagers, teens on screens with you once again and discussing a movie that you hold so deeply cherished within your heart. I was nervous about doing this one with you because I think I've mentioned it to you in the Mm. past as being one of my favourites and it's gotten not much of a response from you. I'm always like, yeah, big deal, huh? Okay, cool, chump change. Yeah, who gives a toss, I believe you said one time. I said, who gives a toss? Not I, for I do not care about it. And that makes me nervous Mm. because then I think, have I just... Attached too much nostalgia to this film? Mm-hmm. Am I going to rewatch it and realize that it's actually not very good? Mm. I was hesitant, but here we are today. We're talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, and I think it is very apt to talk about because we are doing a freaking mini series about teen films, mm. and it would be unseemly for yep. us to not touch upon the behemoth mm. that is John Hughes when it comes to this kind of genre in film. John Hughes is John Huge, in my opinion. <laughs> yes. I've actually, I don't, I'm not talking about size. I've no. actually never laid eyes on the fella. I've seen him. He's got a Lucasian neck, okay? He's got a <laughs> bit of a neck like George Lucas, <laughs> where he's not huge. Like, he's not a big chubby guy, uh-huh. but there is a swelling in the neck. And that's just something that happens to people when they get older. If you make one teen movie, like George Lucas did yep. with American Graffiti, yep. there is a chance that your neck could swell. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm putting it down so to. So far, based on the data, <laughs> yeah, that based, seems to be true. <laughs> it's adding up. <laughs> Watch out, Bo Burnham. It's very hard to discuss John Hughes because he has he's the teen director. Mm, he's the auteur. He's the auteur of this genre. and. Yeah. People feel very strongly about him still yes. to this day. His films have a huge emotional impact on the souls and minds of young people. I I am too young to have been there when this happened. Yes, we were not born in that era of John Hughes shit. In the early 80s, I was but a mere sperm mm. fluttering around my father's beautiful scrotum. <laughs> you were doing laps. <laughs> Touching one end of the nut, swimming all the way to the Holding other end of the breath, nut. Holding my breath, going all the way back to the other end of the nut. Doing a little tumble, touching your toes, <laughs> and using it as a force to jettison you from one end to the other. Oh, and you know what? I was happy. Of course, you're happy as a clam. I was happy as a clam. I was chilling out in there. I had so much fun, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, nature called, and I had to be sprung forth yep. into the world. And that's Via the penis <laughs> into the vagina, and then out of the vagina mm. into 
The back of a cab. Exactly. So now you know Cameron was not artificially inseminated. He was officially <laughs> seminated. Very officially. <laughs> An official semination happened. And then many years later, he popped out. <laughs> many years. Yeah. Many years later, yeah. it took a while for him to get comfy. I didn't want to leave. I said, hey, I like it in here. Yeah. He was like, and I thought the nut was awesome. This thing's way <laughs> the better. The womb rules. <laughs> you can stretch around. It's cozy. <laughs> <laughs> I was sprung forth into the world mm-hmm. And then by the time that I was You know, like 17 Yes I'm in I'm in high school When, when would this have been? 2004 or 5? Mm-hmm. 5, yeah, 4 or 5, right? Um, there's an 80s renaissance going on in 2004 and 5 All Absolutely. around the world Yeah It didn't last very long It was only a little snip, I would say And yeah. then it's more in what the last four or five years where it's been like, oh, actually the 80s is back. The 80s came, the 80s will continue to come back mm-hmm. because I think people like the, um, like the cheesiness of it as much yeah. as they like the fashion. They're like, exactly. oh, it's kind of lame and that's why we like it. Yeah. Cause I remember we had like fluoro parties totally. in high school or end of like primary school mm. where people were like, oh, we've got fun little jewelries on and we're wearing leg warmers and stuff like yes. that. Yes. But there was not, um, I would say there was not an exploration of culture of the eighties beyond that. It was like a little bit later. Yeah, you're right. But when, I would say when I was in year 12, mm. the, the fluoro party thing was in, people were wearing those choose life shirts. They oh, came back. I wore those two parties. Cause Isn't I, it crazy that they came back? But it was also that I was like, yeah, this is an easy costume. I'll dress up as George Michael. Yeah. That's all I did. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'll just be George Michael at a party because I look exactly like him. I just need to put the fucking t-shirt on that I made myself. Two beautiful Greeks. Exactly. Two beautiful Greeks. And guess what? Two beautiful freaks. <laughs> and the John Hughes like mm. the John Hughes movement was a big part of that uh, renaissance in yes. like 2004 or five. The movies kind of came back into vogue. They were celebrating anniversaries, I would yeah, say, as people well. People were talking about them constantly, mm. like, oh, this is a classic. 16 Candles is a classic. Yeah. Breakfast Club, the poster for Breakfast Club was being parodied oh, in yeah. advertisements and stuff. It's one of, the, to me, the Breakfast Club poster and also the Ferris Bueller poster with mm. him like maxing, yeah. like a sperm in a nut, yeah. <laughs> laying back, chilling out. <laughs> Those are like iconic <laughs> posters where it's just the actors, like yeah. not like an incredible design. It's like there's something about like this, the layering of those images that mm. just sings to be an iconic image. Totally. And so I would I think around that time I watched all the John Hughes movies mm. and loved them all and Ferris Bueller was the one that I loved the most. And I think because it's it's not it's not as binary as Breakfast Club where mm. you've got nerd, jock, yes. freak, princess, whatever the fuck. This cool guy. Like, There's a cool guy with a long jacket as well. Yeah. <laughs> when you look at Ferris Bueller, you're like, I don't actually know mm. where these guys fit in the socials yes. ladder, but everyone seems to like them and everyone also seems to like everyone. And they're also like, they're interesting characters because you don't see what their life is like in school. Never. And they're like uh, outsiders in a cool way mm. where they also seem rather adults. Totally, yeah. They seem sophisticated. Mm, yes, exactly. And they actually are really sophisticated. And I guess that's like a big part of this movie, like, mm. and maybe it's legacy. So I, I have a lot of fondness for it. I would, I know it off by heart. Mm. I, <laughs> I hold it in high esteem. You, on the other hand, 
have never shown much love for it mm. or interest in it when I bring it up. I would say that... What's going on there? I do not like John Hughes. Okay. I don't like John Hughes movies. I do not like The Man. I do not like that weird neck that I was discussing earlier. Whereas on George Lucas, I think it's cool and sexy. Yeah. And even John Hughes... It's like a fleshy cravat. Yeah, exactly. That's why I like it. I'm like, I got to get me one of those. (laughs) (laughs) And thankfully, I did. (laughs) But um, I, I... Ferris Bueller is the one that I love. I would say this. I remember I had this on VHS. Uh, it was definitely a divorced dad purchase. We bought on VHS to live in his library. Cool. And I remember watching it because my dad was like, "Oh, you gotta watch this. It's got a great soundtrack. You're gonna love it." And I remember liking it enough, but not really connecting with it on an extremely deep level. More so, like I could see myself in like the characters, like Alan Rock's character of Cameron. I'm Sad like, sack. Yeah, I could see a little bit of that because I was, you know, going through depression that my parents were divorced. I was like, okay, life is not what it seems. It's not a fucking bed of roses as I once considered mm. it to be. But you know, that idea of everyone goes through like gloomy periods in their life and like wanting to be isolated. I could relate to that character. And I, but it just never stuck with me. While mm-hmm. I did think like the humor was good. Uh, and I really liked it. It just never became one that I just kept feeding into the player throughout my teen years. Then later on in high school, around 17, 18, when I'm working in the video store, I'm like, well, I'm a teenager. I should be watching these teen films. Like we kind of talked about with Days mm-hmm. and Confused a few weeks ago. And I put on Breakfast Club. Liked it. Didn't love it. Didn't really move me too much. Didn't do too much for me. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat with Breakfast Club. I, I think it's the one everyone loves. Yes. It's the poster child of this generation. Mm. And for me, it's like cheese ball shit. Yeah. But there's, there's good bits, but it is... Mm. Mm, it's just lame. <laughs> it's quite lame. And then I dug deeper because I was like, what am I missing? What am I missing here? Because some people around this time, there were some older siblings of people, mm. of my friends, not just people, <laughs> of my friends that would have liked these movies more that I remember talking about them. And I just went further to the John Hughes thing and I was just, you know, seeing stuff like Long Duck Dong and like Weird Science I'm like, this is fucking bad. I was like, mm. how do people like this? And I just found it... So to- Long Duck Dong, for people who aren't playing along at home, mm. is a character in 16 Candles. Yeah, I think 16 Candles. And he's a immigrant whose name is Long Duck Dong. Mm. That's the joke. And I was just like, there's evil in this. This is evil stuff. <laughs> and I just remember just like really being turned off by it. And just not getting it. I was like, oh, I guess times have changed. But I was also like, this was okay. Like this, like, mm. especially Weird Science. Like I revisited that I one not that too long years, ago. So tell me, tell me more about why you don't like that one. That one, literally, Anthony Michael Hall, like, does crazy stuff in it. Like he basically, like, plays like... He like it's so weird. I don't know how to describe Say it. Say it. Give it. He give like it a go. does like black voice for it for like part of it. Uh-huh. It's really weird. Like putting on a suave voice. Uh, it's really strange. And the whole thing is like these teens invent like a sexy woman. Yeah. And yeah. it's like that was kind of like an awakening for me to go like, oh, it's not just like this weird white guy doesn't get like. Uh, different ethnicities and how to portray them in film. Mm. And like, it, it was also like, this guy is a full on misogyno. 
I was like this, and even watching these, the other movies now, I'm like, oh, there's so much like misogyny in them that it strikes me as so interesting that these movies caught on in such like an emotional way with people. But then it makes sense because like I think that there's something about John Hughes where he really directly spoke to the universal teen experience of like feeling like an outsider, mm-hmm. feeling like you don't have your place. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you read this, but it's a piece that stayed with me for the last few years. And I reread it this week uh, where Molly Ringwald wrote like uh, an essay for The New Yorker uh-huh. about um, like during the 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 first like bursting of the Me Too movement, mm. like kind of addressing the misogyny of her of the films that she starred in for John Hughes and John Hughes uh, John Hughes John Hughes at large, <laughs> um, but like watching some of the movies with her daughter who was like ten or eleven years I old. I remember this, yeah. And um, she talked about like how she would meet people that were really. Like she talked about her like negative experiences in Hollywood, negative experiences with John Hughes, and positive experiences with John Hughes. Trying to like classify him not just as a man but as an artist. But she talked about like experiences of meeting people from like diverse backgrounds of like you know black people, gay people, and then her just and t- telling her like how much those movies meant to them. Hmm. And she was like shocked by it. But then she just like goes, "Well, I guess it made sense because it's like." What else did we have back then? True. And I think that's kind of like the legacy that's caught on. Whereas like now something like this, I can't imagine oh, you them can't, existing. Well, it, it wouldn't connect now because it's context dependent. And mm. we've joked about this when we said we were watching Ferris Bueller this week mm. over text. We were saying, yeah, cool. We're just going to dive into this Reaganistic yeah. like, comedy. And it is. It's like totally dependent on being aspirational mm-hmm. middle America Reaganism, like, you can make it, you deserve it, you can mm. be upper class. Yeah. Other people are weird. It's all about othering poor people and mm. immigrants and yes. then also, like, raising up white America. Um, it's It would never get made now. It no. Do- it doesn't get made now. It do- Well, it does, but not in, like, a mainstream way. And yeah. I would say, like, this is the one... Like funny Republican comedy. <laughs> yeah, this and totally. Dennis Miller doing his bits <laughs> of the news. This is like the one funny Republican uh, comedy. I'm a, I'm a Tim Allen guy. Oh, you love Timmy. You I love, love Timmy. Last Man Standing. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say, like, you know, they're allowed to have it. They're allowed to have one of funny course. comedy. It's just, it's their fault that they could make more of them. It's also interesting because, you know, there's, this is not officially a Republican comedy. Come on. You watch it, what else No can one it be? says anything about politics in it, is what I'm trying to yeah. say. But it is undoubtedly a movie about excess, mm-hmm. which is the 80s. And, like, I would say that, uh, like, Ben Stein's talked about it, who's in this movie as he well. Does, he does talk about economics in this movie. Too. Yeah, exactly. He <laughs> loves that shit. Ben Stein, <laughs> the things that he loves is economics and uh, creationism are the two things that he loves <laughs> and is well known for. One th- other thing that I'm sure we'll freaking get to. Yeah. Uh, but, like, he talked about, like, being friends with John Hughes and they were like, yeah, we're all Reaganists and, like, how, you know, we were becoming conservatives and stuff. And it's like, Ben Stein, fucking your dad worked for Nixon, cunt. What are you talking about becoming conservative? You can't get more conservative than your dad working for fucking Nixon, That's brother. Just the, it was the era. Um, mm. I remember that Molly Ringwald article. There was also a, a few other things mm. coming out around that time about that reframed John Hughes as not necessarily a problematic man, mm. but yes. as a man who was maybe emotionally manipulative to yes. his younger cast 
members, you mm. know, like he, he would never cross the line, but he would have tantrums mm. and snap at them. Like that's kind of play why favorites. he fell out of directing as well. Yeah. Like he was meant to direct one more movie with Molly Ringwald. Mm. And she talked about how he hated rewriting and she said the script wasn't enough to snuff and he just refused to rewrite it and then never did anything. Well, they, they all have negative things to say about him. Mm. Even if they haven't all come forward about it, you can, yeah. you can hear them all go, yeah. Like Anthony Michael Hall will say, yeah, for some reason he just started hating me and started yeah. being mean to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I don't know if I agree with you saying the man has evil in him, but I I do think that he is a complicated mm. asshole. Yes. Um, and I don't love all of his films anymore. I think a lot of them I've sort of mm. right now find cheesy. Yeah. But this one is the one that has stuck with me. And the reason is because it's pure fantasy. Yes. I can't relate to it. Mm-hmm. I can just enjoy it as an adventure comedy. Mm. Um, and I think it stands in stark contrast to the two previous films that we've Absolutely. done so far on Screen Ages, yeah. which are based in memory or reflections of like real teenage experience. Mm. This doesn't feel real in any way. No, not at all. This yeah. Is, this is a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. I think Ferris Bueller is Bugs Bunny. Absolutely. That's the only person you could recast it with. Is absolutely <laughs> it's Bugs Bunny. Like, it's just pure craziness. And mm. it, it's different to his other movies. There's all that camera addressing mm. and all that shit. And Deadpool I think style. We call them Deadpool. Deadpool. He Deadpools Deadpool. the camera. <laughs> they Deadpool the camera. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's, I think it's worth talking about as a teen fantasy, mm. and maybe that's why it's kind of it's lived on a little bit. Absolutely, and I would say I was very cautious about going back because I think there's there's been a reason why I haven't seen this movie for like 15 years because mm. I was just like, what if this has evil within it too? Sure. And watching it back and like undoubtedly the way that I've set this up. There's actually something that's very evil in this movie, but watching the movie itself, I was like (laughs) relieved because I did find it still charming, funny, Mm -hmm. moving. Mm -hmm. And I think that in, in, but in ways I didn't anticipate as well, like the things that I think we'll talk about when we get into the proper discussion are things that I've never said about like other movies before, like in a really, in a really a way that differs from like the artistic experience of films that we normally talk about. Mm, Okay. Well, let's dive into it. What is so dangerous about a character like Ferris Bueller is he gives good kids bad ideas. Well, why should he get to skip school when everybody else has to go? Syphilitic meningitis. He never gets caught. This guy in my biology class said that if Ferris dies, he's giving his eyes to Stevie Wonder. Well, he's very popular, Ed. I recall Central Park in fall. Ferris Bueller, do you know him? Yeah, he's getting me out of summer school. They think he's a righteous dude. Think he'll be alive this weekend? I can see him denying popular beliefs, setting off on some impossible mission. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. That was the trailer for Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a 1986 comedy by John Hughes. Now, we like to find log lines from all around the mm-hmm. internet and just sort of see how accurate they are. Alexi's found one. Where'd you find it? I found this on Twitter by searching Ferris Bueller about okay. <laughs> the search bar section. <laughs> all right. So, Alexi, what's the log line? This comes from in a reply from a previous tweet from the 14th of September 2016. Hmm. The first tweet says, all right. 
give me your hottest movie take. No lukewarm garbage. And then Julissa JM replies, Ferris Bueller is about an entitled brat who gets his friend who suffers from anxiety in trouble. <laughs> and then I found a reply to that, which is, Ferris Bueller is sort of, about, uh, sort of about his sister having a mental breakdown and abandoning everything she believes for the approval of a boy, right? So I guess that's the A and B plots to Ferris Bueller. I reckon that's pretty fair. <laughs> I'll give it that, especially that first one. Yeah. Uh, wow, yeah, that's true. Uh, let's talk about Ferris Bueller, the character then. Mm-hmm. Is he an entitled brat? Absolutely, he's an entitled brat. But is he also not a charming rascal? Yes, of course he is, both of those things, which is why I guess he works as a film character. I I think this is one of my... One of my favourite and constantly returned to, like, examples of a, a great charismatic lead. Mm. Um, and I find it so fascinating that Matthew Broderick plays this character because I don't think he's ever done this before or since. Because mm, <laughs> this is the one movie where, like, Matthew Broderick, he's kind of... He's got a little something about him. Yeah, he's cool. He's, he's cool. He's sexy, he's cool, he's got a vibe. Yeah. And then in every other movie, he's like, hey, come on, guys. Yeah, come on, please don't fuck my wife. <laughs> <laughs> please, guys, don't you dare fuck my wife, Just please. at least not in front of me, please, guys. Oh, gosh, fine. Well, if you're going to fuck my wife... Do I guess I'll go to the store. I guess I'll watch or go to the store or something. <laughs> yeah, I think as well, like, this is like a perfect marriage of character to performer in mm. a way where I think, like, Broderick in the 80s had something interesting going on. Um, I watched this other movie that stars him, and I think it's like... He's amazing in this other film as well from this era called Lady Hawk, mm. which is a fantasy movie. Amazing premise. It's Rucker Hauer and Michelle Pfeiffer, their lovers. But during the day, she is a hawk. And during the night, he is a wolf or some shit. And they can right. never, there's a curse on them where they're never human at the same time. But it, at dusk, they can fuck. <laughs> they've got one minute at dusk. <laughs> during the twilight hour, they've got a minute where they're like, I gotta get it, I gotta get it. But it's like a beautiful fantasy movie directed by Richard Don. And uh, but I would tell you it's not a recommendation to watch it because it has the worst fucking original score by Alan Parsons Project <laughs> that makes the movie literally unwatchable in my opinion. <laughs> Great movie otherwise. Afromalina's awesome in it as well as a villain. The score is horrendous. But Matthew Broderick stands out to me in that movie because he captures like this same energy that he does with Ferris Bueller. Mm. And I think Ferris Bueller speaks to this character too where he's kind of like a puck. Uh, and he kind of is a he. Yeah. He found a way in both of these things to really modernize, like this Shakespearean uh, experience, and mm. like how to bring modern humor and wit to like this idea of like a Shakespearean character who's like a trickster, who's a bit of like a chaotic energy, but also like to like the idea of like when he deadpools the camera. Like yeah. I think that Matthew Broderick uniquely was equipped to do all this like Shakespearean shit and very theatrical stuff and bring it to modern cinema in a way that like I don't think anyone has been able to since. Dude, that is something that no one's ever said before. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank That's you. That's crazy and I'm so proud of you. As you were saying it, I was buzzing hearing wow. it. Because I've never heard Tim anyone... Tim Allen style, buzzing. Yeah, I'm Buzz Light, Buzz Light earring <laughs> over here. Because I've never heard anyone like wax lyrical about Matthew Broderick, ever. Yeah. 
It's never happened. No one really talks about him. Yeah, well, you don't have many opportunities. What am I going to do? Talk about the fucking producers remake? <laughs> I don't think. What am I going to say about that? <laughs> talk about the fucking Godzilla remake okay. that he did. Yeah, I know he hasn't. Had, he hasn't made the best movies, but he's still. I would. I still think he's a movie star. Yeah, technically he's a movie star because he's not in TV enough to become a TV star. <laughs> He's also probably more of a Broadway star. Absolutely. They got, well, that's the thing. He's a great theatrical actor. Yeah. I think that Ferris Bueller is a theatrical performance Definitely. that's captured on screen in a way that holistically this movie works because there's like there's those layers of things that are very theatrical, yeah. things that are very sketchy, mm-hmm. things that are very naturalistic, and then things that are, you know, just pure fantasy. That just it, it, it captures something really. This movie captures something really unique. It's funny because um, John Hughes has talked a little bit about his other casting mm. suggestions that he had around this time. Really he was making this movie, Bugs, um, Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. You got to go. Yeah, we got to get Bugs, but Bugs yeah. is obviously licensed to like. Yeah. Warners. Exactly. And so, you know. He's too busy getting ready for Who Framed Roger. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's busy. The other names that were thrown around at the time, uh, Anthony Michael Hall, obviously, because mm, he's he a could mainstay. But he's, um, not, he's not dangerous enough. No, he's not quite dangerous enough. Michael J. Fox? Uh, too good. Too it, good? I think he wouldn't... He's too big. He was at especially the time. like yeah, yeah, right yeah. after Back to the Future. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, you you're casting Marty McFly in a movie. True, John Cusack. He would crush this, but he's too scary. <laughs> John Cusack's really scary. Like he, he talking about people that Deadpool the camera. The guy fucking is great at Deadpooling the camera. We know that. <laughs> yeah, but I think he is way too dangerous. Broderick's yeah. kind of this white bread. You yeah. know, like. That's the thing. Like he's like looks like the perfect Republican. Yeah, John Cusack is scary. <laughs> I remember listening to a podcast interview with Danny Trejo years ago, and they asked him who the scariest person he ever met was. He said John Cusack. Man, <laughs> <laughs> it's like those eyes. That guy's got fucking scary eyes. Every time he holds that stereo over his head, I'm like, fuck, he's gonna crush someone <laughs> he's with gonna it. Throw he's it, gonna it at the window. At <laughs> All right, I'll give you two more names: Tom Cruise. Um, not funny enough. I not don't funny think, for enough. This. Uh, Jim Carrey. Oh wow! I think too insane. Yeah, I was gonna say same thing as Cusack. Too yeah, scary. A bit too crazy. Um, he, but then uh, Hughes went on the record as saying, "I needed this character mm-hmm. to be wholesome in yes. a way because if it's any other actor, you know, if it's Sean Penn, if it's anyone like that, you'd be looking at this guy being like, why is everyone following this little scumbag mm. around?'" He said, he went on the record as saying, I need someone who could be uh, wholesome and charming. James Stewart could have played Ferris Bueller at 15 years old. I agree with that. Isn't that an interesting thought? When I read that, I thought, wow, so that's how he sees him as a James Stewart character. Well, you know, that makes sense. A sort of, you know, like he's he's puckish, Mm. but he also has like a big heart. Yeah. And maybe that's what works for me about the character of Ferris is because... Is the casting of Matthew mm. Broderick as a man with maybe the kindest face and voice in Hollywood? Yes, up there with Tom Hanks of like kind face, Absolutely. kind voice combo. And I also like you know, I think he is a mouse. He looked like a mouse. He has mousy vibes, and yes. it makes you kind of think. Okay, if I would feel maybe a little bit honored and privileged if this guy wanted to hang out with me mm. all day. And went out of his way to make me have a good time. Yeah. 
if it was someone like Tom Cruise, I'd be like, oh, I don't know, this guy's maybe a bit too cool too, and intense. Yeah, too cool. But Broderick, I'm like, yeah, he seems nice. Like, and, I want to just yeah. hang... I want to hang out with him all day. And I think he captures, like, the... the, the how to say, like, the lyingness of this character, like the uh, the con man of this character mm. well. Whereas I think if Matthew J. Fox... Michael J. Fox, not Matthew Fox. Matthew Fox did it. Matthew Fox could have done this. (laughs) Probably could have done it. He actually could have crushed it. He probably could have crushed it. But (laughs) if Michael J. Fox did this, I think he's a little just that degree too genuine for this that Mm. Matthew Broderick doesn't do. And Jim Carrey, I think, would have fucking crushed Cameron. Oh, big Different time. performance, but, you know, he gets to do multiple voices in it. And uh, I think that... You know, especially when you look at the dramatic career of mm. Jim Carrey playing very sad, fucked up, yeah. depresso motherfuckers, yeah. he would crush this role and it would have like awoken his career in such a different way. But uh, I mean, we'll get to Alan Ruck soon. I'm glad. I'm glad Alan Ruck is casting this. I'll throw one more name at you mm-hmm. that is not on the list, but who I think could have played Ferris yes, Bueller, Frank Langella. <laughs> 40-year-old man as Skeletor. Dennis Franz. Dennis Franz. (laughs) God, he would be great. Uh, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. 1986. Absolutely. Eddie Murphy. Maybe a bit too old for the Yeah, he's like probably 25 or something. Sure, but Alan Ruck was 29. So like... Yeah, true. (laughs) You know, the rules don't apply. Yeah. (laughs) Eddie Murphy would be great. Eddie Murphy also has that ability to be... Like Axel Foley, mm. who is so sweet and loving to his friends, but yeah. also a cartoon character when he needs to be for the bad guys. Can I just tell you something about you and I? When we go ultimate casting, it's always <laughs> it's always Eddie Murphy. It's always Eddie. <laughs> and the other person always goes, yeah, he could do it. Do you know, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> um, the Sydney Morning Herald, one mm. of our newspapers here in Australia... Someone, a journalist from the paper, rang me the other day mm. because Coming to America is yeah. out now. No, no. Well, Coming to America has been out for years, but Coming <laughs> to, to America. America is out today. And they asked me to give some quotes on Eddie mm. Murphy, and I talked for 25 minutes on the yeah. phone, almost without interruption. Yeah. And it was basically just me repeating over and over again Eddie Murphy is was and will be the greatest comedy movie star of all time absolutely absolutely <laughs> I did a podcast last week about Bovingo on the Double Impact podcast oh, man. check it out great podcast but I just said to them I was like yeah Eddie Murphy was the only time in history where the funniest person in the world and the sexiest person in the world and the most charismatic person in the world were the same person crazy and it's like that's it Bowfinger, he should have been nominated for an Oscar he for. should have been nominated for two Oscars both performances yeah so one time they should have split down like two two characters same movie both get an oscar nomination <laughs> but he would have crushed ferris he would have been great he could have been a good because axel and ferris are very similar characters similar, they're similar lovely characters Welcome to the new season of The Big Film Buffet. I'm your resident film buff, Alexi Toliopoulos. And this season, we've got a new friend joining us. Who the heck are you, dude? 
Hey, I'm Jen Fricker, and there's three things I love most in this world. Film, podcast, and my good friend Lexi. <laughs> a tremendous honour for you to finally go on the record with this. But anyway, all this is to say that we are back, baby, and we're an even bigger buffet. Yeah, we've been in the kitchen, cooking up a storm and throwing it against the wall to see what sticks. It's an extremely unhygienic way to handle food. But it's a great way to put together a podcast. And this time around, you hear us twice a week. First, a little snack to whet your appetite, where we'll obsess over something in film or pop culture that we just cannot stop thinking about. Then, your main course, our finest film recommendations for your weekend. From big new Netflix blockbusters to some of our favourite golden oldies. The buffet will be back in service from Thursday the 18th of March. And then, every Tuesday and Thursday after that. So follow The Big Film Buffet on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. What happened to Susie Youssef, by the way? Oh, it's this huge thing. She got drafted into a professional women's baseball team with an alcoholic coach, but she'll be back after the war. Isn't that the plot to a league of their own? I don't think so. Well, I wish her all the best. Me too. Love you, Susie. Love you, Susie. Let's talk about the supporting cast. Mm. Let's get straight to Alan Rock, baby. We're so close to it. Alan Rock, he likes to really fuck up. He's sad. (laughs) He's sad in this movie. And I think Alan Rock is probably one of those character actors, whenever I see him, I always associate him with this movie. Mm. But whenever he pops up, I just go, I love you, Alan Rock. I love Alan Rock. And in every other movie, he's got such small roles where just like, how did this not... This he's so fantastic in this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How did they not just go? Well, you're going to play sad forever. He um he has so much range. I used to love Spin City, mm. the sitcom starring Michael J. Fox. Yes, not Matthew J. Fox. Not Matthew J. Fox. That sitcom was called Lost, mm, and it's extremely funny. <laughs> One of the funniest. But comedies. Alan Ruck played. In that show, he played like the slimy, mm. sleazy character, and yes. he was also great at that. Yes. He is incredibly talented. He's in succession at the moment. Oh, is he? Yes. God, he's, uh, okay. He doesn't get enough screen time. He's probably only in half the episodes of every season. But that's but also it's Alan always Rock. A st- it's always a standout. He never gets enough screen time. Look he's at him so in Speed. Funny. In Speed. Oh, Come true. on. He that's should be like right. the fourth lead. Yeah. Instead, he's like seventh on the fucking call sheet. He's like fucking seven rows deep in the fucking bus. Yeah. Dude. Bring Alan Rock to the front. He can do anything. Alan Rock to the front of the bus. Absolutely. <laughs> he should be up there fucking doing the pedals of Sandy B. <laughs> Sitting on Sandy B's lap. Exactly. That's it. Speech should be about fucking Sandy B teaching him how to drive or something. Yeah. Fuck Keanu off. Exactly. Get rid of him. Alan Rock has twice the charisma of Keanu Reeves, <laughs> which I guess is probably accurate. I think Alan Rock, uh, this character is maybe the first, like, instance of depression mm. that I ever saw on screen. Yeah, exactly. And, and and what would later come to be defined as emo. Yep. And I think this character is the only character that could also exist in any other John Hughes movie. Mm. Sad sack rich kid yep. whose parents don't give him enough attention. They care more about their possessions than they do about him. Mm-hmm. In a way, this character is my only evidence that this is not a completely... Republican Reaganistic movie because yeah. Cameron is so sad at the fact that his parents treat their house like a museum mm. and don't really spend any time with him. Well, I don't know. To me, I'm like, he reads as Republican too. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, yeah, he just wants... Sure, he's sad, but what's he going to do? He's maybe, wearing suspenders. Actually, I would maybe say that reading, watching this movie again, I think he's the, obviously my the best character. I think it's a... I think it's also the best performance. I think he's fantastic in this movie. Well, he was 29. He was 29. He had years of <laughs> depression in him. Like... He was trying to make it as an actor for probably fucking 10 years. Of yeah. course he can play depression. The yeah. guy was fucking sucking it down for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> he's sad. He's like, captures sad perfectly. But for me, the best part of this whole movie is... Um, this is one of the great location movies. Mm. I think that... It uh, captures Chicago so beautifully, like a brochure, a brochure, a brochure. A bro- it's like a Chicago brochure, and it's like it's got the. This is what I was talking about. When I was saying I've never said this shit about movies before. The second unit on this movie mm. is like the the most successful second unit has ever been in play when it comes to creating the identity of a movie. Full postcard shots. Every shot is a postcard. Everywhere. Where we're going outside and seeing like the fucking Great Lakes of Chicago. Seeing like the little fairies go underneath. Chicago is so well known for its like architecture and celebration of architecture. And this movie captures that better than like... I would say on par with like the Untouchables, where mm. it like captures what Chicago architecture looks and feels like in creating like this iconic city. The way that captures all of that, and then when they go to the Institute of Art, yeah, I think that is one of the great art sequences in a film. It's amazing because like the way they frame it up, like it's kind of it, it's I, when I started watching it, that scene kicking off with like the um, the Smith song. Yeah, and um, please, 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 let me get what I want. And when they're like standing in those poses, like separated, like by one point five socially distance apart, <laughs> and they're doing like these poses. This is a COVID safe movie. It's the first COVID safe <laughs> movie. No one really touches each other in this movie except for Ferris and Mia Sarah because they're all they're in, in the relation. Bubble. They're in a bubble together, <laughs> and then they bring Cameron into the bubble, but still, there's enough distance a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but when they're like standing apart doing those poses, like, oh, okay, it's like silly. They're making fun of it. But then when we have that moment <clears throat> of Cameron just enraptured by the pointillism, yeah, the pointillism, the Sunday afternoon mm. painting, um, where he is just absorbing it, and the camera keeps cutting back and forth between them, shot and reverse shot of him looking at Sunday afternoon, um, and then you're seeing like the texture come mm. alive in the painting mm-hmm. by not doing anything special, just getting closer and closer to it. It reminds me so much of like being a young person and seeing one of the great works of art that you've only seen on your computer screen or have heard about and finally seeing in person the texture coming alive yeah, of it. Yeah, getting close to it and going, this is just blobs of paint. And being moved by yeah, it. Like being moved by technique and brush strokes, which are things that are lost when unless you're seeing it. Like, I remember when I was like 20 years old and I saw Guernica in flesh, uh-huh. like the Pablo Picasso yeah. painting. That's like the size of an entire like room. Too big, I'll say. It is quite big, but that's when I saw in person, I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I felt like I was inside it. Yeah. And I think it captured that moment for in Alan Rock's performance where he like, it's like his brain is like oozing out while he's seeing it. And I was like, that's the moment that he might've stopped becoming a Republican. <laughs> That might have been it, where he was moved by art. Can I tell you about that moment, what mm. John Hughes has said about it? This is, um, I think this is the most beautiful moment in the movie. And he's mm. he's gone on record as saying that this is the most self-indulgent part of the movie for him. 
True story, the first cut of this film was two hours and 45 minutes. Good Lord. And this feels like a long movie, to Yeah, and it's only, what, like 99 minutes or something? Yeah, it's like 98. But it went for so long because he just spent hours shooting Chicago shit. Like, them doing shenanigans in Chicago and all the different locations. Mm. And he had to chop it down. And he had to fight to keep the art sequence in it. And no one really got why he wanted it because it kind of... It doesn't progress the story... It's sort of sad. It's yes. not fun. Um, he says, obviously, when he was a student, he would go to the art institute and he would like see these paintings. Mm. And it was, it, it was a very beautiful time in his life. But he says the reason that Cameron stares at Sunday afternoon is because it's a photo of a mother and daughter mm. holding hands, um, which is something he never had with his parents. Wow. And he keeps staring at the little girl's face. And the closer the camera gets, because it's pointillism, the less it looks like a person. Mm. It starts just to look like blobs and like just brush strokes. And the camera gets closer and closer to it. And Cameron is thinking, I wonder if the more people look at me, the less they see. Oh when they look God. at me, I become invisible and yeah. I become nothing. Wow. Isn't that fucking heartbreaking? Yeah. And I mean, the moment captures that. Holy shit. Without telling you that, you know... Because ever since I was a kid, I've been trying to analyze what that mm. scene means. And meant to hear him say it, I, I go, wow, actually, I felt that mm. without knowing it. You yeah. know, you, that's that's filmmaking. And it is the point of change for Cameron. Like, I mm. think that's what makes the rest of the movie make sense, is that moment of introspection. But, you know, where we it doesn't extend the plot or anything like that, this montage. I think it's the one thing that makes the day off worth it. Hmm. I think, like, it's, you know, otherwise, like, what are they doing? They're just doing living in the moment. But I think, like, the, the way that these, like, teens all have an experience with art that extends beyond the moment. Mm. Like when they're at their baseball game, yeah, sure, they're having fun. When they're parade, they're having fun. They eat a great lunch. It's amazing, whatever. Mm. But when they all have an experience of like encountering the sublime or the divine, where they are moved by something, like when, um, like, you know, when we're seeing all the things like the Chagall and all that stuff, like, mm. or Rembrandt's. Is it Rembrandt's or Chagall? I can't remember. I can't There's remember. one with these two paintings next to each other that are like, they really pop with color. Like, there's some great masters. I can't remember what it is. But then uh, you have them sitting in front of the, like, that blue glass, stained glass piece. And they, like, kiss. And it's like, this is the one thing where they are all moved and transcend beyond Mm. what is the the purpose of their day off, which is just to live in the moment. Mm. They all live beyond the moment in this. And I'm like, that's what it is. It captures the right thing. That's interesting, man. I've, I've actually never thought about it that deeply, but you're so right. Ferris says twice in this movie, you know, life moves mm. pretty fast. You have to slow down and look at it or you'll mm. miss it. And I've I've never really thought of this as a pro living in the moment movie mm. because the consequences to living in the moment are so high. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's going to get caught. He's going he's gonna to get in trouble from his principal. He's going to blah, blah, blah. His friend's going to get sad or depressed. Mm. They're going to crash the car. I don't, I actually don't even think it's about what Ferris thinks it's about. Mm. I think it's about realizing that living in the moment is fucking selfish and dangerous mm. and you shouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that moment where they slow down is maybe the only moment that's that's kind of nice. 
Yeah. The rest of it is kind of bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Like, who cares? You saw... Like, what kind of fucking sports game is on a weekday when school's on? <laughs> like, that's weird. It's just some fucking local team. And it's televised? Like, to a fucking diner or wherever fucking Rooney watches it? What is that? <laughs> there might be a few plot holes in this. Yeah. Is this Sunday school? <laughs> What is going on? Uh, also, when Rooney goes to the arcade and there's mm. heaps of other teenagers there, I'm yeah. like, why aren't they at school? Exactly. Yeah, they might not be his students, but he should be calling up all their schools. Exactly. And going, hey, all the fucking kids are the There's all your kids are here. <laughs> What's going on? Just like for one, some reason, this school is the only one open today. <laughs> and there's a funeral on. There's all the other stuff that's happening. Yeah. I have a question about Mia Sarah's mm. character, Sloane. Is she supposed to be Australian? Why? There's a few times where her accent is a bit Aussie, mm. and then when Alan Ruck impersonates her dad, he's doing a weird accent. Oh my god! My partner, when watching the movie, she said, "I always thought he was doing an Australian accent when he calls up the school because he goes, this is George Peterson.' Really? I'm Sloane's father, George Peterson. I've never heard it ever. I was always like, this is like some like." kind of like an impression of like you're not a Jimmy Stewart but of someone of that era I've never quite got what's going on there mm. and then a few times Mia Sarah speaks and she has like a kind of flatness to her accent that sounds vaguely Australian that is so weird and I would I've say that I've never understood it <laughs> really yeah wow I've never even when, picked it up and she says to Ed Rooney when mm. he's like waiting outside the school She's... with her she says like Ed you're a beautiful man and it, she sounds like Olivia Newton-John or oh, something. Oh, wow. I couldn't... I could never understand. And she does say hooroo when she drives off in the car. <laughs> All right. G'day, there's me dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. She's great, too. Should have been a star. I know. She's so... I, she captures, like, that cool, like, girl persona so well in this yeah. movie. And yeah. I think that, like, it's that idea of, like... More so than Ferris and Cameron, where she captures like this idea of like being an adult at that time. Mm. I think it's a really, really good performance, and it is weird that she's not a movie star because the stuff like Legend as well, which is another movie that she did around this time with Tom Cruise, and I think she's great in that. But maybe just like the right roles didn't come. I, I know. Don't know. And Jennifer Grey like got the right roles, oh, yeah. um, but they but it didn't. I don't know. It kind of fell off at a certain point too. But I think she's like transcendently good mm. in this movie. Really, really funny. Yeah. And I think that she makes it believable that her and Ferris are siblings. Totally. It should she should be a villain. You know, like this is the Bill Paxton role in mm. Weird Science. Just yeah. like the aggressive older sibling who hates their mm-hmm. brother or whatever. Paxton plays that mo- that role as like a pure villainous yeah. asshole. God, I love Bill Paxton. Yeah. Um but Jennifer Grey plays this character as like, uh, it's like, it's funny that she's pissed off at her Mm, brother. Exactly. (laughs) You know, like, I never feel threatened by her. I'm more like, this is so funny that she's just, she can't stand the fact that everyone loves her brother. Exactly. And everywhere she looks, like, people are referencing him and Mm. saying like, hey, I hope your brother's okay. I think it works so well because like, like, so much of this movie is about Ferris's like golden boy entitlement. Mm. You need that foil of a sibling that doesn't receive that. Yeah. Even though, like, you know, she's, like, got a car as well. Like, she got mm. given a car. He got, he a, got computer. a computer. Exactly. And it's like, that's so that's so interesting that he was able to get the computer and then 
manipulate it to his means as well. Yes, he found a way to work within the system and become a hacker. Yes, war game style. Not a great Matthew Broderick performance. (laughs) But um, I think it's like she plays it so well to be like, fuck this guy. Like, fuck him. Fuck, he gets everything. Mm. And then is able to like assert her power as it goes through. I I think she's really great and really funny. We still have more Jennifer Grey comedies. I know, I know. I feel the same way. Because I only know her from like Flashdance and... Yeah. And this? Uh, no, not Flashdance. What, what was the other That's, one? Um, oh, Footloose. That fo- no, not Footloose. Baby in the Corner. Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Whatever. Exactly. They're all the same. But to me, that's one movie. And Fame, chuck it in there as well, yeah, babe. Yeah, chuck that in. I don't give a shit. <laughs> They're all the one fucking movie. Yeah, we'll do a miniseries. It's one episode long. We just talk about the one movie. That's all of them, okay? <laughs> yeah, she's great. Uh, let's get to our... Um, Supporting, supporting characters. Mm. And this is where we're wading into territory that I find to be a bit icky. Yes, it's icky. It's uncomfortable. We, we, you know, there's a guy in this movie who is bad. He's well, evil. we are journalists. And we have to mm-hmm. bring this sort of shit up. Absolutely. And we have to put it to rest. Yes. Um, we're talking, of course, about Ben Stein. <laughs> yes, we can't stand Ben Stein. <laughs> Win Ben Stein's money? Yeah. Okay, I'd love to win it all and then use it to crush him. <laughs> Buy a fucking anvil and drop it on his head. <laughs> Acme style, baby. <laughs> no, we'll get to Ben Stein later. Let's mm-hmm. talk about Jeffrey Jones. Yes. Who tragically is scum. He's a creep. He's a pedo. Yeah, it's official. He's a pedophile. Yes. Sorry, guys. So crazy. Ugh. And so unfortunate because what a great character. Yeah, great character. I would love to discuss it and talk about why it's funny and yeah. uh, all the stuff. But but I also don't want to talk about Jeffrey. Don't Jones. want to talk about Jeffrey Jones. Now you, if you didn't know, now you know. Yeah. Shit. Well, and that's like the cops coming right now. <laughs> they're coming for you, Jeffrey. Watch <laughs> out. <laughs> now that the word's out, they're after you. But we'll get. Well, let's not talk about Jeffrey Jones anymore. Let's mm-hmm. talk about who I find to be an incredible standout of this of this film, and mm-hmm. that is. Edie McClurg as the Secretary Grace. This is, I think, one of the most unsung, funny as a pig in piss, Mm. which is funnier than shit. Yeah. Uh, Imagine that. Yeah. A pig just waddling around in piss. (laughs) Because you're like, okay, I can imagine a pig in shit because I've seen a pig in mud. I've seen it heaps of times. Pig in shit. It's basically the same thing. Yeah, they're the same color, same consistency. Exactly. Piss. Now, like wading up to their ankles in piss? <laughs> I'm laughing, I'm laughing. That's funny. Because that's what funny is. It's something that you can expect, but then you twist it. Subversion. Yes. Surprise. I mean, we know a fair bit about comedy. We're not just journalists. We're also... Riffmeisters ourselves. Yeah, a couple of monsters on the riff. And also, you know, I'm sure that Edie McClurge would be thrilled <laughs> to find out that two comedians thought that she's so good that she's like a pig in piss. <laughs> You're a pig in piss, Edie. Uh, <laughs> I would give this a fucking Oscar. It's the it's yeah. I would give this. I would give. We're this, giving this an Oscar. I let's give this an Oscar. This is best supporting actor. Oh my, my god! Gee, this is the one of the funniest performances. So well deserved. I think this is one of those performances that is iconic. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of her lines are incredibly quotable. Yes, she is a fucking bubbling ball of joy in this film. The way that she plays stress is so funny. Oh, God. Like, when she's on the... When Rooney's on the phone and she's, like, giving him, like, you know, excited for him, like, hearing him, like, play it out. And then when she gets the call from Ferris, the moment that she has to, like, put it through is... That's cinema. 
that whole pure. moment is cinema. It's so funny. It's pure pig and piss I also, cinema. I love it when she is... They're looking for something mm-hmm. in the office and she picks up the phone and has to impersonate being Rooney for a moment. Yeah. And oh. her, her impression is doing that noise. <laughs> oh. Oh. It's so That's funny. That's so funny. That's piss stuff right that there. That is pig and piss shit. Mm-hmm. This is like the... This is the Oscar, dude. You yeah. get the Oscar. Congratulations. Congratulations. It's well-deserved and long yeah. time coming. Long time coming, Edie. We also love you in planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, exactly. So funny. We think you're funny as a pig and piss in that. <laughs> exactly. And that's something that doesn't get said very often. Not many people have ever, have ever said It might not have ever been said. <laughs> but now we use it as a something to quantify comedy chops by. <laughs> is a pig rolling around in piss. Because could you imagine anything more delightfully humorous than a little pink oinker squelching around in some... Splishing and splashing <laughs> around. Yeah, splishing and splashing fucking little Richard style around in piss, dude. <laughs> While we're in the awards uh, mm-hmm. category, I think it's only fair that we give out another Oscar uh, for the single most impactful moment in cinema. Mm-hmm. I know that you have a part of this movie that has profoundly impacted you. Yes. I think you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Do you about. think that's worthy of an Oscar? Absolutely. Because this is the moment in my... My probably my single least favorite moment in cinema mm-hmm. because it has impacted my life to a degree that I would never have anticipated and to something I think is not worthy of impacting life thus thusly, which is a guy that we've talked about already. We've hinted at him a couple of times. I'm going to say his name, Ben Stein. If you I'm... say it three times, he appears and bores you to death. <laughs> And that's actually the thing. The guy says names thrice or more times. And that is, the to me, my least favorite joke in a movie. I fucking hate it because it became a go-to joke for teachers. And it's like these... When pe- they were reading the role. When they're reading the role, like, God, this reminds me of my favorite movie. Allow me to live it for a second. Yeah, you're playing the most boring teacher of all time when you're doing that. And that's the joke in the movie. And you're interpreting it is worse. It's worse because it's shows you have less humor than this humorless fuck Ben Stein who I guess was an economist and a comedian. What what was he? Who is Ben Stein? I don't he's know. famous for this movie and for being an economist. Uh, he's in the mask. He's in the mask. Yeah, he's fucking great in that too. Fuck Ben Stein. Fuck oh, Ben Stein's ben money. Yeah, fuck Ben Stein's money. Before we wrap things up, uh, we like to talk about how we mm. would totally reboot this flick we've got the rights mm-hmm. fucking <laughs> how bizarre style dude we got the rights <laughs> we bought the rights uh-huh. and we have got the rights to fucking make a new ferris bueller in some way reboot it i'm a bit stumped yeah because well, it would just for me be like you know baron trump's day off or something like that <laughs> don jr well Funnily enough, this movie has been rebooted in a way. This movie... <laughs> As Super Bowl ads, directed by Todd Phillips, right? By the way, I fucking hate Super Bowl ads. I'm mm. putting it on the record. Yep. Every Super Bowl ad that revives a character or a exactly. vibe from a show or some shit can fuck off. The I only hate time it. it worked and was good, Crocodile Dundee with fucking... Yeah, um, Danny McBride. Danny McBride. 
That yeah, was good. That was okay, but even then, they're like it was better than the fucking ads, and I <laughs> yeah, hate them. Yeah, exactly. So okay, Ferris Bueller was turned into an American sitcom <gasps> in 1990. This is a thing that happens a mm. lot in America, especially with 80s movies that are hits. Yes, they get turned into sitcoms that last a season. The aforementioned Weird Science comes Weird to mind. Weird Science lasted two. I I actually used to like that mm-hmm. show before I even knew it was a movie. Coming to America had one. Whoa, really? Yeah, it's awful. Okay. You can watch the pilot on all these pilots exist online. You can My find Big them. Fat Greek Life is one that I'm familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Blazing Saddles had one. There are yeah. a lot. Ferris Bueller had one that lasted 13 episodes in 1990 on NBC. The National Broadcasting Community uh, or something. (laughs) Apparently very different to the movie. It's not as meta. It's not as cartoony. Does he Deadpool? I think he Deadpools. Okay. Rounding out the cast of Nobodies Mm -hmm. is the biggest nobody of them all, playing Jeannie Bueller, Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, she's huge. One of my eyes. She's idols. an A-lister. I know. She and has... she was fourth or fifth build on this shit sitcom that lasted 13 episodes. She has so many credits like that. Like, yeah. really, fr- she popped so hard with Friends after, like, a decade of doing so many Probably shows like that. more than a decade, you know? Like, she's yeah. been around for a while. Like, she's in Leprechaun? Yeah. She's in Leprechaun. She's in uh, Mac and Me. She is in Mac and Me in a, as a background yeah, extra, and you can't even spot her. Yeah. She's in so much stuff, like, early on, and it's, like, crazy. Like, to me, that's proof that she is such a big star that goes beyond nepotism, because she's, star, like, the daughter of, uh, like, a famous, uh, I guess, like, soap opera actor. Right. Uh, John Aniston. Hmm. And then her fucking godfather was Telly Savalas. <laughs> I know all the Greek, all Greek movie history ever. So she was this fucking like goddaughter of Telly Savalas. Wow! And that's like you know you don't get bigger than Telly Savalas in my opinion. One of the biggest stars ever in Hollywood. And also interestingly, same year on Fox competing network, mm-hmm. uh, there was a sitcom that came out called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. This TV oh my show- lords is went on the record with the fact that it was ripping off Ferris Bueller. Wow. It debuted the same year as the Ferris Bueller sitcom. Parker Lewis is essentially Ferris. He's like the cool, weird kid. He talks to the camera. He, he has a sad best friend. Wow. Uh, he has a hot girlfriend. He takes days off school. He gets up to mischief. His principal hunts him down all the time. Oh, my God. This show lasted four seasons. Whoa. It was a hit. People liked it more than the first Bueller show. I guess because it's like, if you're doing a blatant imitation like that, I guess they can construct some differences or like something or play more. But if you're doing like the act, like it's, it's not seen as so much as a lesser version. True. Like if you're watching a lesser version, you're like, this isn't Matthew Broderick. I've already seen the movie. Stop calling this guy Ferris. He's not Ferris. He's not Ferris. Not my Ferris. Not my Ferris. When they say say Ferris, I don't mean this guy. But there has been talk. And when I say talk, I mean one person talked about it about Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Okay. And I think it was Alan Ruck. Okay. Who said that he wanted to do a follow-up when they're in their 80s and they're in a nursing home. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's about Ferris taking Cameron out of a nursing home for a day. Oh, that's kind of Brad cool. Grandpa style. I actually do like I that. I think that's kind of cool. 
But listen, Alan Rock, listen, that's too long between projects for you, mate. You should have called it earlier. <laughs> yeah, you could have made it like Florida or something. Exactly. They're in their 50s. They're in their 50s. He's at uni or some shit. Or you're in a dead-end job. going straight from like the high school movie to the nursing. Yeah. That's the pitch. I know. Alan the next Rock, one, we should be 80. You should have foreseen it. Just going like, yeah, I'm probably going to need a paycheck around 50. So I've been, how about I'm in my dead-end job for all this time? And yeah. Ferris mysteriously comes back we can address the whole fan theory that he's any figment of his imagination and do it that way do you know actually what i would do Mm -hmm. and i'm sorry if this has come up before on the podcast i don't know if it has probably not Mm -hmm. but i would set it on 9-11 yes okay (laughs) (laughs) that sounds interesting yeah i think that'd be a great way to go about it and they were supposed to be on that flight oh ferris dragged them off the flight. (laughs) yeah (laughs) and rooney's on there yeah, Rooney stays on the <laughs> He stays flight. on the flight. I would also... Here's another one that I would give. This is my <laughs> other option, that it's a Deadpool movie. Deadpool and Ferris exist in the wow. same Deadpool Deadpool versus Ferris. Deadpool versus Ferris, and Deadpool shoots Ferris in the head and kills him. <laughs> I think that's it. So I want Deadpool to kill him and then kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's a perfect way to reboot it, and a perfect way to end this perfect podcast. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We cherish you and mm-hmm. we hope that you found your inner teenager during this discussion. Absolutely. And I got to say, it's good to be back, Cameron. It's good to be back. Back in the saddle, back in the cinema, talking about movies. We're going to continue the Screen Ages for a few more weeks. We're having a lot of fun going through these movies. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot more. And people keep suggesting some that I hadn't even thought of. So. I know. Yeah. We might even be stretching it out. Who knows? Mm. Next week on the podcast, I got thinking about what the next movie could be. And it's my pick. And this is one that I've been looking forward to doing. And I think it works in balancing this. We're still sticking in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, John Hughes was someone that was revered for basically being one of the only people that made art for teenagers, about teenagers. So that got me thinking about a movie that I really, really love. That's a bit of a newer discovery for me of another filmmaker and auteur that very earnestly tried to make art for teenagers about teenagers. Interesting. Uh, The movie that I'm thinking about is one of Francis Ford Coppola's adaptations (laughs) of the S.E. Hinton novels, Mm. Teenage Author... (laughs) And the novel and movie that we're going to be talking about is Rumble Fish. Wow. Starring Matt Dillon, starring Mickey Rourke, mm. Diane Lane. I adore this movie. And it's interesting to see like how Coppola went through like this bit of a phase in the 80s of trying to make teen movies with, of course, the other Ezzy Hinton one, The Outsiders. Mm-hmm. And then P.K. Sue got married, another high school movie. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. So he loves teens. And Jack. Which is about tweens. I know, Jack is in between it all. So I guess he kind of went through a teen thing. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm looking forward to doing that. I've only seen Rumblefish once and it was probably when I was about 18, 17, mm. 18. So it's been, a, it's been a minute. Yeah, definitely check out Rumblefish, guys. It's going to make for an interesting discussion and I think it's one of the coolest movies. 
Oh, dude, you've gotten me all excited now. In the meantime, if you want to hear more from us, you can head over to patreon.com slash total reboot. Sign up for five bucks a month to get access to a bunch of extra podcasts. And what are we doing on those Patreons at the moment, Cammy? At the moment, we are going through what our favorite films were every year of high school. Mm. So the last one was year seven, then we've got year eight, and we're being very honest, mm-hmm. and some of our choices were shit. Yes. But that's all part of being open and honest podcasters with you guys. Exactly. We are talking about our movies that were our favorites, and we are being honest. <laughs> You have to be honest. You have to be honest about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to talk to us, you can talk to us both on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm at I am Cameron James, mm-hmm. and you are at this is Alexi. Yep, and uh, I guess that's all we have to say. Yeah, let us know what are the teen movies that mean a lot to you and why. Maybe you want to talk to us about Ferris Bueller or mm. movies that you want to hear us talk about on the podcast. Yeah, and because we are relaunching, it helps a lot if you give us five stars on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and let us know some cool shit about your life in the review. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. What your favourite movie was when you were a teen. Yes. And you know what? Stay funny, stay sexy and stay cool. Hey, what are you still doing here? The podcast's over, dudes. Yeah. Oh, you just fucking listening to it because you didn't press pause? That's actually okay. That's fine. Sorry for being rude. We're yes. just feeling really stressed at the moment. We're stressed at the moment. We're fucking making fun of the movie that we just talked about. Yeah, sorry. We love you guys. We love you guys. And thanks for sticking around for the credits. <laughs> <laughs>